What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Oh, my God. This is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the two-man power trip podcast. This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Cody Rhodes, the prince of pro wrestling, and you are listening to two-man power trip. This is Jimmy Vine, the boogie Wooker man. Tell my people and my brothers and sisters, don't you dare miss John and Chad. Hey, everybody out there. This is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> well, guys, it's great to be on the show again. I appreciate you asking me back. So you said you were going to pinch yourself. I didn't know it was that kind of show now. I mean, if you guys are in the privacy of your own home, if you want to do these things. Good. How you doing, Chad? Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Okay. Hey, man. What's up, guys? This is Homicide. Oh, that's my homie. Homicide with a big homie club. Yeah, that would be it. Hey, this is David Penzer, and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling. Well, thank you, thank you. Hear me, fear me. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Look, Mean Gene, I can't be beat. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that. And every kid, I, they knew they could kick the out of me. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling, and now they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of sick and tired as I am of people who claim to be the icon of wrestling. Hulk Hogan and Roddy Piper claim to be the icon. Shawn Michaels is the icon that can still go. Bret Hart would claim to be the icon if he wasn't too busy crying about being screwed. And I guess Randy Savage is still thinking, thinking. Well, Shawn Michaels is still the single most talented athlete in wrestling today inside the ring. But outside, he's an adolescent obnoxious jerk who takes the tights and goes home if he doesn't get his way. Bret Hart is one of the greatest wrestlers of all time, but if he'd have been screwed as many times as he claims, he'd have struck oil by now. And Randy Savage is a legend, but let's face it, how many records did Frank Sinatra sell last? year. But the pinnacle of this icon garbage came at last night's cage match between Hulk Hogan and Roddy Piper to determine in their minds only who the real icon is. WCW had the gall to say this is the greatest cage match in history when it was only the greatest in three weeks since Hell in the Cell. But here you've got a 46-year-old bald movie star wannabe who looks like Uncle Creepy with a good bill taking on a guy with an artificial hip that hadn't wrestled a full schedule in 10 years. It's a tribute to the massive egotism in my mind of both men and an indictment of WCW's promotional policies that this match even took place much less be in the main event when the card was probably the best that WCW is capable of having. By the 10-minute mark, they were sucking wind so bad, the first three rows passed out of oxygen deprivation. It would have been funny if it wasn't so sad. Well, I'm sick and damn tired of hearing guys claim to be the icon, especially when it usually comes from guys who just didn't know when to quit. Roddy Piper was my idol when I was a teenager, but that was 20 years ago. Hulk Hogan during his best years was 50% media creation, and those are long gone. This match was a slap in the face to every wrestler that takes pride in his profession. And in my mind, no one man is bigger than this sport. But if there is an icon, it would be a man who has great ability inside the ring and professionalism and maturity outside of it. Let's leave all the petty backstabbing I make more money than you BS with the hat check girl and concentrate on talent and attitude. The Undertaker, Ric Flair, and Steve Austin have never claimed to be icons, which means they're big candidates to be just that. And on a personal note to Hulk Hogan, you are a household word, but so is garbage. 
and it stinks when it gets old too. I'm Jim Cornette, and that's my opinion. This is the two-man power trip of wrestling, and you are listening to episode number 259 of the two-man power trip of wrestling podcast, a podcast that you can catch two times a week by hitting the old subscribe button in any of the places that you get your podcast from, whether it's iTunes, Player FM, TuneIn Radio, Ear Peeler, or my personal favorite, the Potomatic app. You never know who you're going to get on the other end of the line when you download the two-man power trip of wrestling. And with all that being said, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner, the one and only John Paz. Oh, and I am so happy, John, to be welcoming back the guest we had for episode number 150. And here we are a little over a year later as we welcome back the one and only James E. Cornette, otherwise known to some people as just Jim Cornette, but he is back on the two-man power trip of wrestling in what seems to be something you and I have been chasing for a little over a year. Uh, ever since we had Mr. Cornette on, we saw such a huge spike in not only the download numbers for certain episodes, but also the YouTube numbers, and he is an absolute phenomenon with people literally hanging on every single word that he has to say because God knows it's probably going to be controversial and it's probably going to offend somebody out there, but nonetheless, it's always entertaining, it's always worthwhile, and it's always worth the time when you get Jim Cornette on the line, and from the first time that we saw Jim Cornette post having him on, the first question was, when are you coming back? And we finally were able to sync up the schedules and get it done. I know, John, as funny as it is, every time we talk to uh, Jim Cornette in person, it was always, oh, we'll get it done, we'll get it done. And we finally got it done, and I'm just I'm so happy to have it back because he's obviously somebody who's in the news now for some current wrestling reasons. Obviously, it's very well known, his semi-reunion with the WWE during WrestleMania weekend for some WrestleMania-related activities. But man, John, when you think about it, and getting Cornette back on the show, it's just it's uh, it's a great highlight for us. Uh, he's become a great ally to us. He's always had so many nice things to say about doing the show and, and kind of conversating with us. And uh, I'll never uh, be able to uh, put into words how that feels to have Jim Cornette on your side. But obviously, uh, it's a definite highlight for the two man power trip. But John, as I welcome you in here, why don't you share with us a little bit about this Jim Cornette interview, as well as uh, maybe some of your finer uh, comments about the one and only Jim Cornette, a guy who it's really nice to have on the mantelpiece, the Jim Cornette interviews. And folks, get ready because here is another one that is definitely, definitely going to turn some heads after you are finished listening to it. Yes, Chad, back here again, the two-man power trip of wrestling, and we continue our hot streak, if you will. Huge week last week with Glenn Kane Jacobs, the exclusive with him, and then you follow it up with Justin Roberts, who was just all over the place, big time in the news right now with a lot of different topics, but of course, this brings us to today's episode with James E. Cornette, the Louisville Lip himself. Arguably the greatest manager of all time. Awesome to get him on again. Um, we've interviewed him in the old, uh, I guess you could say, blogging days. Then, obviously, last year we had an awesome, amazing interview with him. And then again, this time around, for uh, I, I like to call it part three. Uh, you, I think you like to say part two. I like to call it part three. But awesome stuff with uh, 
James E. Cornett. He's just great to talk to, whether it be on air or off air. He's he's such a treat, such a nice guy, such a historian for the business. Got so much good things to say, so much awesome topics you can cover with him. He's just he's amazing. He's the dream guest. He's the guy that no matter what, let's just say you got no material whatsoever, this guy will create an awesome show for you and you know knock it out of the park. But obviously with this episode we had a ton of topics and a ton of material to go through. We had a lot of great talk on The Undertaker. We had some great talks about Kane, obviously, who has quite a history with Mr. Cornette. Then, you know, you throw in the Eric Bischoff stuff, what he thinks about Eric now, them doing the WB Network table for three. How are they getting along? Do they get along now? Him kind of changing his opinion on Eric Bischoff. Then we get into Triple H, his opinion on Triple H. Kind of uh, did his opinion on him change? what he thinks about NXT, of course, The Revival, the greatest tag team in wrestling today, what he thinks about them, what he thinks about their somewhat of a tribute to the Midnight Express. So there's a, a myriad of amazing great topics that we went through with Mr. Cornette and just what an honor, what a pleasure to get him on again and expect him back on in the future because we're creating quite a great relationship with Mr. Cornette. Very, very excited about that. But you're going to love this episode. You're going to love his opinions. He's a kind of no-bullshit guy. He's straight up. He he tells it like it is. You don't like it. He doesn't give a shit. Thank you. Fuck you. Bye, as he likes to say. So, you know, sit back. Relax. You're really, really going to enjoy this one as we send it off, you know, to possibly the greatest manager of all time and quite possibly the greatest guest you could possibly get of all time. That is some pretty big hype to live up to. The greatest manager of all time. He will tell you it's Bobby the Brain Heenan. I think it's very debatable. It's kind of a 1A, 1B scenario because they're both so great and they both represent two different sides of the heel manager of the heyday of the 1970s for the brain and into the 80s and then Cornette with the 80s into the 90s. Such a great comparison and uh, obviously two just timeless personalities. But whether it's number two or number three or number four or number five, it's never enough when it comes to having Jim Cornette on the show. And like you said, we're just uh, absolutely so thrilled to be associated with him. And so much more to come. We'll all be down in Richmond, Virginia on May 19th and May 20th. And John will tell you about that in the two-man power trip of wrestling business. But we are going to be spending a lot of time with Jim Cornette that weekend, and we couldn't be any more thrilled. And we do uh, kind of, I don't know if I kept it in the interview, but we're going to be announcing that our guest for the Mid-Atlantic Wrestling Expo has changed, and it is going to be a huge reveal uh, in the next coming days. If you follow the Mid-Atlantic Wrestling Expo, you already know who it is, but in two-man power trip of wrestling land, you will be hearing from him very, very soon. And that guy is coming. I don't know if I want to. I'm going to tease it. So I'm either going to send you to the Mid-Atlantic Wrestling Expo website so you can check that out, or uh, you can wait here and see who it is. But, John, as the music starts to creep in, hit it with a little bit of two-man power trip of wrestling business. And please do us the honor of getting it on over to the one and only James E. Cornette. And now for some TMPT business. 
Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Two Man Power Trip and at Wrestling Pal. Please visit our website, tmptofwrestling.com. That is tmptofwrestling.com. Subscribe to us on YouTube. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes. While you're on iTunes, check out the feed for some legendary episodes featuring the living legend himself, Bruno San Martino, the late great American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. Ray Mysterio Jr., Jeffrey McDivitt, Brutus the Barber Beefcake, Mr. Wonderful Paul Ondorf, AJ Styles, and so many others. Also, while you're surfing the web, check out WrestlingInc.com. Yes, that is WrestlingInc.com. They are the number one wrestling news source out there, so please check them out. Also, while on the internet, go to ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, ProWrestlingTees.com is your superstore. If you are a super fan, and you can please check out our page while you're there, you can check out Tito Santana, Paul Orndorff, Coco Beware, Magnum TA, Buff Bagwell, and so, so many others. Follow along with the two-man power trip of wrestling in 2017 as we hit the road and we come to a town near you. April 22nd, we hit Philadelphia, Pennsylvania at the Icon Collectors Fest. Then, May 19th and May 20th, we hit the Mid-Atlantic Wrestling Expo in Richmond, Virginia. Then, follow us to New Jersey as we hit Legends of the Ring in Monroe. So please follow along with the two-man power trip of wrestling in 2017, because you never know where we may land. And now, without any further ado, the Louisville Whip, the Louisville Slugger. He is a pro wrestling, an NWA, AWON Hall of Famer. He is the former manager of the Midnight Express. He is the greatest manager of all time. He is James E, a.k.a. Jim Cornette. Please enjoy. Joined on the line tonight by a returning guest to the two-man power trip of wrestling. He's, up, he's just one of our favorites of all time, one of our favorite guests of all time, one of our highest downloaded shows of all time, one of our biggest YouTube sensations of all time. He's got his own podcast, The Jim Cornette Experience. He's got his own podcast, Jim Cornette's drive Through. And on the line with us tonight, it's the great Brian Last. Just kidding. It's the one and hey! only. Hey! <laughs> Thanks 
Thank you so much for coming back to the two-man power trip of wrestling. Hey, thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it, and I always enjoy being had. And uh, I'd, I'd just like to say once again thank you for exposing me to, uh, to your audience as well. Oh, it's been great. I'll tell you what, the couple people that have actually gone out of their way to message me so nicely to say that some of the stories that you told on with us, you know, they hadn't heard you talk about before. So when we can hear something like that, you know, I think we know we're doing something pretty good. But obviously when we got you on the line, we don't know what to expect. So uh, I think it's a uh, thumbs up all around. Well, I, I don't really know what to expect either because I'm following you guys. You ask the questions, I'll provide the answers. If you ask a question I don't want to answer, I'll just answer another question. Exactly. Well, I'll tell you what, the one that we get the most questions about from when you were on the last time was when we were talking about Survivor Series 93 and the Rock and Roll Express versus the Heavenly Bodies. So that kind of segues into obviously what you did just a mere week plus ago, inducting the Rock and Roll Express into the Hall of Fame. Now you went into it on the experience, but if you can just kind of go over what it was like actually arriving in Miami, or excuse me, in Orlando for, you know, you're doing other things, but for actually showing up to a WWE event, like hell froze over, very temporarily, and you were back in the uh, the WWE world. Well, it, it was a little frosty uh, down there in 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 Orlando, aka Hell. <laughs> but uh, uh, no, it, it was actually it was an enjoyable time all the way around. I saw a bunch of people. You know, here's the thing: I uh, there's more people that I like than that I don't like in that organization, and. I enjoyed seeing those folks, and I stayed away from the people that I didn't particularly want to see, and I honored some old friends of mine and got a chance to tell a an entirely new audience and, and new generation of fans exactly how great the Rock and Roll Express were. So overall, I, you know, I had a great time. Uh, that was awesome. It was surreal, i, I got to say. Now, obviously, we know if you're an inside fan or – you know, you follow the podcast world, you know that you've had interactions with Ricky and Robert. It's not like you haven't seen them in 20 years, but also being able to see them kind of come out on the WWE stage. It's, uh, it's very cool to see the people recognizing that, and however they picked the Hall of Fame, they made the right choice this year. But when you got that call, were you scratching your head, or were you just actually really honored that they were calling you to induct, induct the rock and roll? Well, I, I had to admit on my podcast that you mentioned the highly uh, rated, award-winning Jim Cornette experience. Um, I had to admit that I was wrong because I, I honestly didn't believe that guys from our generation in the 80s, we were Vince's only competition with Crockett Promotions. Uh, we fought neck and neck for a few years there, and then unfortunately TBS got involved and the whole thing went to hell. Uh, but we, you know, I didn't think they were going to honor guys like the Rock and Roll or the Midnight or, you know, the the opposition. And I had to admit I was wrong. And I I don't like to do that. I have such little practice at doing that because I'm so seldom wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but you know, since they did, I I was you know I was excited about it. And and yeah, you know, when I got the call. I, I, a lot of people said, you know, you're the only one to do it, and truthfully, I wasn't the only one, but I was probably the the obvious pick, and, and I appreciated that. No, it was so cool, and I, I got to say, I did uh, kind of hold my breath for a second, because when they came out on the stage, I did think you might try to sneak up behind them with the racket, and maybe, uh, you know, 
Maybe, maybe at least tease a little something going on. But their speeches, it was great. It was, like, again, just so cool to see them up there because their WWF tenures uh, definitely, I would just say questionable, uh, only because they were definitely um, kind of fish out of water at where they were put in terms of their placement. And we just spoke with both headbangers, uh, both spending time with them over the weekend and having them on the show. And they were talking about their run that they had with them in 98 and then down in Smoky Mountain, so you obviously know a lot about that. But for them, coming back to WWE, do you think that they were, like, do you think they were kind of vindicated for those two bad, <laughs> no, not bad, but just not stellar runs that they had there? Well, you know, we were all the victims at that point of the, you know, we were at the mercy of the Archbishop of Talentbury, um, Shitstain himself, Vince Russo, who literally used... WWF at the time company money to bring a bunch of those guys in and make them look like assholes to prove that you know his vision of Jerry Springer style wrestling was you know what would get over with people rather than guys that actually were professionals and knew what they were doing and had drawn big money in the past so now that everybody is pretty much smartened up to this idiot and knows what he's all about and the stupid things that he says himself I think a lot of uh, the newer generation are uh, taking a look at these guys in a different fashion. I mean, he managed to make the Rock and Roll Express, myself, Barry Windham, some of the legitimately best talents in the in the you know decade of the '80s look like shit just through you know uh, booking them to look like shit on purpose and using company money to do it. And at the time, it wasn't that obvious, but now people have come to realize that's what he was doing. He himself has, has admitted that that's what he was doing. So <laughs> I think overall now people have, have come to smarten up to you know his bullshit and, and now look at those guys in a whole different way because they recognize through YouTube and the network and et cetera the body work those guys had, which was infinitely better than anything that, you know, uh, uh, come guzzler. Has, has ever foisted off on the wrestling public. Yeah, and you know, and it's funny, in talking with the headbangers, they were kind of sharing that sentiment with you that, you know, it was made to look like a big joke, but still, they were just, uh, you know, tickled uh, pink that they got to work with Ricky and Robert again because they have such admiration uh, for the two of them. And I know, you know, if you look back at some of those matches, uh, if you're an old-school fan, you kind of loved it because you got to see Tommy Young come out. You got to see uh, disqualifications for getting thrown over the top rope. But I feel like that little NWA revival, which led to kind of the turn of Jeff Jarrett into, uh, you know, coming back into the WWF, leaving the Double J character behind, a lot of people have forgotten about that angle. And even though it was kind of goofy, it was kind of hokey, if you were an old school fan at the time and you were wanting some NWA, you at least did get the guys on TV. Yeah, well, you know, that, that's the thing. I mean, the headbangers, and, and I love those guys. I kind of discovered them uh, and brought them to Smoky Mountain Wrestling, and that's, you know, then later on, uh, you know, we brought them to the WWE. Um, it, it, so many of the wrestlers of the 90s considered it such an honor to wrestle the Rock and Roll Express because they grew up watching them. Uh, in a lot of cases, that's why they wanted to be wrestlers in the first place, because the matches between the rock and roll and the midnight. So for them, even though it was designed to make everybody you know, involved look bad, it still was an honor for them to, to get in the ring with, with guys the caliber of, of Ricky and Robert. And 
and it was kind of a, a childhood dream, you know, the, the boyhood dream. Uh, it wasn't just Shawn Michaels winning the WWF championship. It was a lot of those guys getting a chance to be in the same ring with, with legends like the Rock and Roll Express. Uh, yeah, exactly. And see, and that's why, again, you are such the perfect person to induct these guys because you've seen so many parts of their career and including up to that point. But putting that speech together, kind of take us into the uh, the Castle Cornet to kind of bring us up there into the war room as you're putting it together. How hard or easy is it to put pen to paper and write such, you know, a from-the-heart thing about two guys you have such a close relationship with like Ricky and Robert? Well, it, it was pretty much impossible because I didn't really write a speech. <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't lying when I said, you know, I have a few notes just to keep myself on track or this thing could go to Sunday morning. I didn't write that speech. I, I wrote some bullet points of some things to talk about. Um, I've never had a, an interview written for me or, or written an interview, for that matter, for myself. I've just jotted down a few things that I wanted to remember to mention and, you know, and, and gone with it from there. And it was really, that's what it was. I had, you know, uh, I talked for 15 minutes and I had, you know, four pages of, of bullet points. Um, I, I don't feel like wrestling interviews should ever be written. And, and I didn't feel like that speech should be written because if I couldn't tell people how great the Rock and Roll Express were off the top of my head, I had no business being there. So the notes were just to to keep me from going all night. Of course, it drove the, the, the agents crazy and the producers. <laughs> They're like, what are you going to say? I said, well, I can only do it once because once I do it, you know, it's, it's done. I, I don't do things over again. The second time is never as good as the first. Right, and there was so much hype. Like you said, there was so much hype going in. Is he going to sue? Is he going to rip on this guy? Is he going to, you know, Go deep on uh, Kevin Dunn or whatever. Did you feel that? Well, you know, kind of it, here's here's the thing. I didn't mean to disappoint anybody, but number one, it was not the forum to litigate those issues, right? And number two, I, I have a feeling we'd gone to color bars or Mighty Mouse cartoon reruns if I'd have got into anything like that anyway. So it it <laughs> it wasn't going to get over anyway as far as get, get on the air. So. I, I decided to stick to the uh, to the topic that we were we were there to discuss. Right. I mean, definitely not the right forum. But did you feel like an unnecessary hype kind of going in that that people were going to think that you were going to do something and obviously you couldn't do it? That it's a much more respectful stage. Well, you know, I I didn't at at before the the Hall of Fame. I didn't want to tell everybody, no, I'm not going to go off and say fuck fuck fucking McFuck fuck. <laughs> because then maybe some people wouldn't tune in. <laughs> but if if anybody thought that was the place I was going to do that, I you know I, I I hope I didn't disappoint them. But it it wasn't the place for it. Now was that something that the Rock and Roll Express call you and ask you to go in, or or an agent of WWE, or Vince himself, or Triple H, who kind of asked you to do the speech, Rock and Roll? Well, uh, you know, when when you were inducted, you are allowed to ask for the person that you would like to induct you, and then it's a process of whether the powers that be want to approve that or not. Um, and obviously the rock and roll said, well, Cornette would be the perfect guy. And then uh, let's just say I got called by someone that was fairly high up in the company and asked if I would do it, and they were very 
cordial, and all the talks were, you know, uh, the best I can say is cordial. And, you know, and of course I said yes, because it wasn't like I had to go back, sign a long-term contract, give up my soul and, and my puppy dog and, and you know, uh, and agree to do a bunch of stuff I didn't want to do. It was an agreement for that night to do that, which I wanted to do, and, you know, uh, that was it. And almost as shocking as kind of you being the Hall of Fame inductor for the Rock and Roll Express was that you did Table for Three on the WWE Network, as Michael Hayes kind of threw out there on Twitter. You and, shockingly, a man you haven't spoke to in 20 years, Eric Bischoff. So what was that like? Well, that one was one they threw in on me. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, and, and actually I enjoyed it because I got to tell, because Eric did not remember why that we had only spoken once in 24 years. And at the top of the Table for Three... Uh, I reminded him of that, and we did a little jousting back and forth, and then we got on to other topics, and Michael was an excellent moderator. Um, We talked for an hour and a half. I understand that program usually goes less than half of that time, so I don't know if it's going to be a two-parter. I don't know if it's going to be cut up or what. I don't know when it's going to air, but there was some tension, but at the end, Eric and I managed to bond over our mutual hatred for, you know, the biggest idiot in the history of wrestling, Vince Russo. And so the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Um, mm-hmm. and, and Eric and I were able to, to come to a, uh, uh, an agreement that, you know, regardless of what we thought of each other in the past, <laughs> neither one of us <laughs> be, even begins to be as big of a shit stain as, as Vince Russo is. So we bonded over that. Right, that that is great, and it's kind of weird, not only you and Bischoff kind of talking or you and Bischoff kind of you know reminiscing, it's just weird in general to see you back in WWE, but it's almost kind of the right thing for it. If they're going to be the, you know, the janitors of history, if they're going to have all this stuff on the network, it's only fitting to have a guy like you who's a huge historian in your own right back. You know, wouldn't you say, wouldn't you, you say you fit kind of hand-in-hand hand with what they're kind of trying to do with the network? Um, you know, I think in some cases, I mean, there's some things on the network that I wouldn't watch if you held a gun to my head, but when they're showing the, the old, uh, footage of WCW or, <laughs> excuse me, Crockett promotions, as you can tell, I'm, I've, I lost my voice that week since I didn't sleep for eight or nine days. Um, you know, if they're going to be showing stuff like that and exposing the work that all those guys did, especially the Crockett promotion stuff, to an entirely new audience, you know, I can, I can definitely get behind that because, you know, that, that stuff holds up today. Uh, I mean, you know, people remember, and I see it all the time on my Twitter, at the Jim Cornette, or people at, you know, right at my website, jimcornette.com. The stuff from the 80s holds up today, whereas the stuff that was on TV last week, uh, a lot of people can't remember what it was. So, you know, I, I, I enjoy that part of it. That is so true, and I totally agree. Is there any more network projects for you in the future, or is the door open for any more network projects? Well, you know, there there is. We didn't go into this saying, okay, we're just going to do this once and never again. I'm not going to speak to you people after this. Um, if Connecticut was closer to Louisville, I'm sure there'd be a lot more things that I'd be open to. I don't know. 
um, if they want to pay me as much money as it would take to get me to drive to fucking Connecticut, you know, on a regular basis. Um, <laughs> I, I don't fly. If, not only do I not fly United Airlines, I don't fly any airlines because of that. You have no rights in an airport anymore. And I don't like being in a, in a fucking metal death tube five miles in the air with some drunken fuck that's probably had a fight with his wife in charge of my life. Uh, but, you know, if, if something was to come up, there, there's two things that I enjoy. Going back and examining and talking about the old footage of when wrestling was actually wrestling and training the next generation, which I did in OVW for quite some time. And, you know, John Cena, Randy Orton, and those guys are, are a, uh, a legacy of that. If it's something to do with that, um, then, yes, I'm entirely open uh, not saying we're going to do it, not saying we're not, but I'm open to the suggestion. And to be honest, uh, there's nothing I'm going to be doing full time for anybody but myself anymore ever again, just because I like being home a lot and on the road very little. And, you know, and, and, uh, uh one thing I saw with that production is those guys that are, that are still in this full time and still have the passion for it. They're on the road all the time. They're working long hours, 16-hour days or more. That's, that's behind me now. I, like, I will visit anywhere, but I'm not going to live anywhere except Castle Cornet in Louisville, Kentucky for the rest of my life. Now, obviously, you were there. You kind of experienced WrestleMania weekend, you know, kind of all over again. What were your thoughts on WrestleMania itself? Did it live up to the hype? <clears throat> Well, I hate to tell you this, <laughs> but I didn't see WrestleMania itself. I have uh, uh, Brian Last, my uh, uh, diehard co-host of, of my podcast and, and my partner in crime, is going to uh, send me a link to something where I can watch the show. But on WrestleMania Sunday, I was uh, previously committed to do Jim Ross's show, um, and, and we did that with Bruce Pritchard and Mick Foley came by as, as a surprise guest. And we were there to show, you know, some solidarity with Jr. after the recent events in his life. And, and after that, that was the, because I had the what culture pro wrestling guys come to Louisville a couple of days, uh, before we left for Orlando and shoot some stuff here at the castle. And then we had the 900 mile trip down to Orlando. And then I had, two full days with the WWE and then I had the what culture show. And then I had JR show when WrestleMania was going on, I was enjoying my first night's good night's sleep. And the first meal that I had eaten in about five days, it wasn't delivered my ho- to my hotel room door in a sack. So I was not at WrestleMania and haven't seen it yet. So I can't really comment, but I heard that everybody loved most everything. And I'll say this, uh, I've just got to see, if if nothing else, uh, the Undertaker-Roman Reigns match, because I think that the Undertaker, truthfully and honestly, you can talk about Jim Londos, uh, Wild Bill Longson, Strangler Lewis, Nature Boy Buddy Rogers, Hulk Hogan, Steve Austin, but overall for longevity, professionalism, uh, popularity, uh, the Undertaker is the... To me, the, the, the biggest and best uh, attraction in the history of wrestling, and I w- if that was his last match, which everybody's saying it is, uh, that's, that's something I want to see. 
and he's always been respected by you because I remember you know, years ago you making comments that he's you know one of your favorite people in wrestling and one of the most respectful and respected wrestlers. What is it about The Undertaker that's made him last you know, 30 years in the WWE and even longer in the wrestling business? Oh, God, where, where do I start? You know, who else has drawn that much money? Who else has had that many great matches over that long a period of time? Who else has never brought bad publicity, uh, uh, either uh, in the ring or outside the ring, onto the company that he worked for? Who else has been a locker room leader and a true professional? Who else has never shit on the wrestling business by going out and doing asinine, childish things or curtain calls or exposing the business? Um, you know, by any measure or any yardstick that you can use, The Undertaker has been not only a true professional, but an incredible gate attraction and made money for himself and everybody he's ever worked for, so or worked with. So, you know, that right there, if you can't respect The Undertaker, you don't respect anybody ever in wrestling. Pretty crazy to think that 1990, now 2017, he had that long of a run, basically as a main eventer. I mean, he as soon as he was in there, he was basically put in the main event. Do you think we'll ever see another guy quite like him? I think it's going to be tough, um, especially with, unfortunately, the way that things have gone, the style of, of work these days and the things that the guys are expected to do. I don't know that anybody's body will ever hold up for 27 years again. Hmm, that That is true. And on that main event level, definitely tough to do. Pretty crazy to think that that this is it after all these years, but man, what a what a crazy run! So, with him kind of being gone and the landscape going to be changing, what are your thoughts on on the current roster of WWE? You think they have enough, you know, top guys to kind of keep it going, or are they going to keep having to bring in these part timers? <laughs> well, you know, everybody says, "Oh, the part timers, the Rock comes back and steals a a, a spot," or you know. If I was a young wrestler now and I got the chance to be on a WrestleMania with The Rock or with Steve Austin or with The Undertaker or with uh, another one of these, as they call them, part-time guys, or without them, if I was smart, I would definitely opt in the with column because you're going to make more money because everybody on the card is going to make more money because those guys are legitimate megastars and they sell pay-per-view and they sell network buys and they sell live event tickets and and john cena is going to be in the same category here very shortly where you know he's going to wind his schedule down um you know it's not about guys coming in and stealing spots it's about guys who don't have to do this anymore but they do it because they love the business and they love the opportunity to to get in the ring and perform coming back and drawing more money for everybody. So anybody who doesn't want to be on The Rock's card or Steve Austin's card or The Undertaker's card, then they need to go work PWG in California in front of 400 people uh, and just and just do all the, get all their shit in, as Rip Rogers would say, and make no fucking money and get paid off in goddamn hot dogs and, and fucking six-packs. Because if you want to make money, you want a megastar in the main event so that the card that you're on will draw more for everybody. Anything else is just stupid. Definitely. Do you see anybody on the current roster that you could see kind of breaking out or breaking out from the mold? Would it be like a Roman Reigns? 
Well, you know, and, and once again, I don't follow the modern product and not just WWE, but I've, I've been clean and sober from modern wrestling for a while because it drives me crazy. You know, I, I, I see guys that do the, the spots with their dicks, and I see, you know, the people that do hypnosis in the ring and they super kick grade school children or whatever the fuck, and that's why I don't want to watch any more of, of modern wrestling because it just drives me insane and I want to hang myself in my closet. But, you know, Roman Reigns has taken a bad rap because he is the guy that the people know that he was the guy that was handpicked by the evil empire to be the guy. And so all of a sudden, just because he has the look and he has the ability and he has the, the stamina and the youth and, and the bloodlines and the whole nine yards to be a main event guy, that doesn't matter because the fans want to rebel because the, the McMahon family has been painted as the heels for so long. And there's a reason why that the promotions of wrestling down through the years, over the last hundred years, always wanted to be the baby faces, never painted themselves as heels. Because then the people go, well, why are we giving you our money, you dumb motherfuckers? So with Vince McMahon, it worked because he was one of the great performers in the history of wrestling. But after that, it, you know, it, it doesn't work. It backfires. So Roman Reigns, unfortunately, <clears throat> has been a victim of that. And... You know, I I think the guy, I don't think he's the greatest wrestler that's ever lived, but I certainly don't think there's anything wrong with him. I think he's got all the tools. I think he needs a little more experience. And I think he'll be fine except for the baggage that he's carrying that's beyond his control. Um, you know, once again, I, I, I'm a big Seth Rollins fan. I loved him when he was Tyler Black in Ring of Honor. And when I first saw him, I said, this guy's going to be a major, major megastar. And, and there's some other guys that I feel that way about, and it just depends on the way that they're presented truthfully as to whether the fans pick up on that or not. Because it's, these days it's not just about the talent a wrestler has, but it's about how the, the fans perceive them based on whether they think that they're being told to like them or whether they're being allowed to like them or not. They, they, they almost were told not to like Brian Danielson, Daniel Bryan. That's why they loved him, because he's a great talent. But he was being presented like, oh, don't like this guy because he's a flunky. So they said, fuck you. <laughs> We're going to like him because he's great. And, you know, it, 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 <clears throat> what, what we are experiencing now is the reason why that wrestling has been a work for 125 years. Because the, the, the people like the heels because they're more entertaining. And when you're told that wrestling is a work, wrestling doesn't work. So they like the heels. They don't like the baby faces. They don't like guys that have the talent because they're being told to like them. But sometimes they like guys that couldn't draw money with paper and green crayons because they're, they're told that they shouldn't like them. It's just it's, the psychology is all fucked up. Wrestling does not work when people know that it's a work. And that's what we're experiencing right now. Yeah, I, I kind of think a lot of the problem goes with the fan base changing, and now the fan base is really wanting to create its own cluster of them being a part of the roster, and they're trying to dictate, you know, whether they're taking over the shows or they're starting inane and ridiculous and dumb chants 
throughout the show to throw guys off and boo stuff they don't like, which I know they've been doing forever, but booing, you know, spots where they shouldn't be booing just for the sake of it. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's Vince McMahon's company. Vince McMahon's going to say what he wants to do and what he thinks is best. And the, the role we've kind of talked about with a few people is that this new fan base doesn't really see Triple H as a bad guy and a guy who held down talent for 10-plus years. They see him as somebody who's fostering in the next generation. And I kind of feel like that's where the disconnect is lying between the fan base and why it's been taking them three-plus years to get Roman Reigns either as the top babyface or see where they're wrong and make him the top heel because these fans want to be part of the show and they just want to do everything that the old guard doesn't like. They don't want to like those guys. Well, I'll, I'll tell you this. I didn't like Triple H for 15 years because of the curtain call. I thought he was a piece of shit for exposing the business along with his butt buddies. He was actually he was the junior member at the time. Michaels and Nash were the ringleaders, and Ramon Hall. But by the same token, now Triple H, <laughs> remember what I said, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Triple H is now responsible for NXT, which is the most pro-wrestling-like, pro-wrestling promotion on a big-budget level in, in, in the world today. So... You know, people can change, and things change. And, uh, you know, I would be a stubborn prick, which, of course, I am, but I'd be a stubborn prick if I didn't say, well, you know, he may have done some bullshit before, but now, you know, guys like The Revival wouldn't have a chance if it wasn't for The Revival's the best tag team in wrestling. I love the Briscoes and Ring of Honor, and I was a huge fan of Chris Hero and Claudio Castagnoli when they were the kings of wrestling. I thought they were the modern-day version of the Midnight Express. But right now, the Revival is the best tag team in wrestling, and NXT has the best pro-wrestling presentation of big-budget wrestling, Ring of Honor being a close second, in the business. So, you know, this way, I'm like, goddamn. You know, when I walked in the TV hotel in Orlando, first I saw Ric Flair, I saw Sting, I, I, I saw the Rock and Roll Express. I'm like, my God, this is a Crockett pay-per-view. <laughs> In the same weekend, Jim Ross, Kurt Angle, and Jim Cornette returned to WWE television. This is like the bizarro world. I don't know what to think anymore. And, and even second, that saying it's a, like a Crockett pay-per-view, how about you take a look around the locker room or you take a look around uh, your Monday nights or Tuesday nights, you see Samoa Joe, Bobby Roode, Claudio, Chris Heroes in NXT, Austin Aries, Eric Young, all these guys that cut their teeth, all the, including guys that you might not be a huge fan of, cutting their teeth for years and years. Now, they're in the WWE, and that's almost like Bizarre World. But do you feel like, and that kind of feels like, has Triple H uh, kind of, uh, you know, has, has Jim Cornette uh, kind of turned his other cheek to, uh, to Triple H at this point? Well, I, you know, and you mentioned Samoa Joe and Bobby Roode. I've been a huge fan of Bobby Roode since I started with TNA in 2006. I think he is the modern-day equivalent of Arn Anderson. Tremendous worker, always in the right place at the right time, makes himself and his opponents look great. I think Samoa Joe is, is one of the next big stars. I think next year's WrestleMania main event should be Brock Lesnar and Samoa Joe. Um, I've been waiting for Joe to break away from, you know, he, he was the victim of, you know, Shitstain's booking for so long that I thought that this is another guy like a Matt Morgan that's 
that's never going to get the chance that he deserves because of his talent, because of he just had a complete blithering idiot in charge of the company he was working for. But now all of a sudden, <laughs> he's got that opportunity. And, you know, so if, if Triple H is the guy, you got to thank for that. I guess we got to thank him for it. But, you know, that that's... That's the thing. The, these guys have been waiting for an opportunity for so long. I threw my body in front of Tyler Black, Seth Rollins, signing a TNA contract when he was leaving Ring of Honor. He called me one day, and he said, well, they've offered me this in TNA, and WWE won't call me back. I said, just fucking ask these questions and delay this thing and see if you can get a call back from the other people because you don't want to be stuck in TNA because – the guy in charge of it doesn't get people over, he gets people under. And, and fortunately, that, that came to pass. So all those guys now that had the talent, A.J. Styles, for God's sake. You know, I just wish it had been five years beforehand. He probably, his body would probably feel a lot better. Uh, but, you know, these guys that, that were carrying the ball in TNA and because of, you know, Dixie Carter being so stupid, if it was raining soup, she'd be out in the yard with a fork. She was paying all these goddamn ex-WWF fucking stars that were just taking her money and bleeding her dry for a paid vacation. She was paying them twice as much money as the people that were actually carrying the ball and, and, and working hard and making the matches. <laughs> and now those guys are finally getting their opportunity. And it, it was delayed, but at least it finally came. So, you know, I'm happy for that. So then let's just play a quick hypothetical. So if this was 10 years ago and you were still kind of, you know, you weren't fully out of the business at that point, but you weren't, you know, uh, you, you were getting, I guess you're on your way to Ring of Honor still kind of with TNA, but if this was WWE 10 years ago and knowing what you had to go through in WWE and all the BS and all the dumb stuff you had to deal with, would you have made a return or at least tried to work with these guys on the main roster if this is what the WWE looked like 10 years ago? Uh, no, I would have gone to NXT. <laughs> I still wouldn't want to be on the main roster, and I'm definitely not going overseas except for an obscene amount of money, which I've been paid a couple times here recently to go to England. Love the folks in the U.K. They don't have any ice over there, but, but I love them. But I would have been interested in NXT uh, because that's why I was interested in OVW. That's why I was interested in Ring of Honor. I wanted to impart some some wisdom and hopefully also preserve and and perpetuate professional wrestling instead of sports entertainment i've always over the last 15 years been more interested in the the new talent and 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 training guys to get over for the new generation than i have about you know wringing everything i can out of the 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 previous generation uh so i would have Definitely been interested in working with NXT because, you know, myself, Jim Ross, and Danny Davis invented the developmental program in the first place. That's right. And if I could just touch on a couple other guys in WWE, or, you know, they went through NXT, obviously they went through ROH, and that's kind of where you know them from. But Kevin Steen, a.k.a. Kevin Owens, and Sami Zayn, a.k.a. Generico, I just, not that I have a beef with them, but I always think it's funny that. Everyone's like, oh, Cornette was wrong about those two, blah, blah. They did exactly what you told them to do, except they did it in WWE and NXT, and that's kind of how they got over. Do you ever feel like, uh, you know, some of these people are completely off base with uh, as far as Zane and Owen? Uh, 
Well, you know, once again, everybody said, oh, Cordette must be hanging himself in his closet and slitting his wrists because they're so successful, which is ridiculous. Kevin, Kevin Steen and, and El Generico were both pains in the ass to deal with. It was the 80-20 principle. You spend 80% of your time dealing with 20% of your fucking talent's problems. Part of it's they're French-Canadian. And I'm sorry, but French-Canadians in wrestling have always been pains in the ass, except for Pat Patterson. Um, <laughs> but part of it was, you know, we're paying you to play professional athletes on television. So, Steen, we'd like you to lose some weight fucking buy some new clothes and fucking trim your beard up and look a little neater. El Generico, a television company, has just bought the promotion you work for, so we'd like you to be able to do interviews instead of being a mute, and we'd like you to take the goddamn mask off because I didn't even broach that with him because that would have been, oh, my God, he'd, like I'd have sodomized you know, his fucking mother if I'd have said take the mask off. But you've got a French-Canadian French Muslim with red hair trying to play a fucking Mexican luchador. And nobody understood it. As, as if, if, if you can't learn to fucking speak and do interviews, and nobody understands that silly gimmick, you're a great fucking worker, and you're selling as Ricky Morton level, but your gimmick is fucking stupid. Um, <laughs> so basically do what the people that are paying you ask you to do, and you'll get along a little better. And, son of a gun, we just found out that Ring of Honor wasn't paying them enough money because when somebody comes along and pays them more money, they do what we asked them to do, and as a result, they're tremendously successful. I never said they were fucking horrible wrestlers. We made Steen the world champion for a fucking year. We tried to sign Generico to another contract, but that's when he had the WWF sniffing around him, and so he wouldn't do it. So we didn't use him. And everybody thought, oh, goddamn, Cornette's running these guys off. No, I just wanted them to, to be more accessible to a wider audience. When they've done basically everything I asked them to do, they are now superstars. Imagine that. Wouldn't you know who won the pony? <laughs> exactly. I feel like these you know, trolls or whatever you want to call them on Twitter or whatever else, they're always wrong. They don't really analyze it correctly. They pretty much, you know, they did what you wanted them to do, and now they're successful. But, of course, it all came with uh, getting paid more money, and, and I guess that was the secret sauce. Yeah, you know that that's uh, <clears throat> I never said that once again that they were bad wrestlers or that they couldn't get over. I said they ain't going to get over unless they do certain things to tweak what they've already got. They've done that and they've been successful. They never embarrassed the business by once again beating up grade school children or having matches with blow-up dolls. You know, Kenny Omega, I've said this about him. I don't care if he discovers a cure for cancer in his spare time, brings Luthez back from the grave and stretches him in a shoot. He's still a piece of shit that should never be in the business because he had matches with nine-year-old girls and blow-up dolls. I don't care how good he is. I don't have any time for him. Don't want to look at him. Don't want to hear about him. If I had, if I had complete control over pro wrestling, uh, I would have, you know, uh, uh, goddamn Dan Severn go and fucking beat the fuck out of him and leave him laying in a fucking ditch because he embarrassed his profession, and he embarrassed everybody that's ever been in it. Steen and Generico didn't do that. They just had misguided ideas about some of their fucking facets of their gimmicks and their, and their personalities. And they didn't do phony spots with their dick, like that fucking idiot Joey Ryan. It's just blatantly phony bullshit, because he's an underneath guy 
that doesn't have the talent to compete with the major main event level wrestlers. So he does this shit to get attention. And everybody, oh, he says, Cornette says all that stuff because he wants people to listen to his podcast. How can he take wrestling that seriously? Well, I do. I've made several million dollars off of wrestling, and it's been my not only my profession, but my favorite thing in life as a hobby since I was nine years old. So, yeah, I do take it that seriously. And Joey Ryan's an embarrassment to it. So is Kenny Omega. At least Omega's got a job now on top. Joey Ryan's still working outlaw shows in front of 400 people, shaking his dick, because that's all he can do. But Steen and Generico never fit in that category. They were more frustrating to me because they had the talent and just wouldn't listen to anybody until finally somebody started paying them enough money for them to listen. Hmm. Funny how, how that goes uh, sometimes. But, you know, with ROH, I know obviously you left them and everything else. With Delirious there as the booker, were you mentoring him along? As, and is that like how he got into that role as booker? Were you kind of, you know, a guiding force for him? Well, I don't want to come out here and say, oh, yes, I got so-and-so his job, and I taught so-and-so this, and, uh, you know, like Russo, I invented air and water. Um, Delirious was a student of the business, was already very dedicated to the company, was was running the training facility, uh, had a lot of great ideas, and had a tremendous work ethic. What he had never done was write television, and 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 deal with uh, a production at at even Ring of Honor's level, which I had. So I enjoyed working with him probably more than anybody since I was on the booking committee in WCW and worked with guys like Kevin Sullivan and Ric Flair because we were not only friends, but also he was an excellent student. He wasn't like Russo, where he didn't want to learn anything because he thought he knew everything and he wanted to make a Jerry Springer show. He wanted to do a wrestling show. He just needed to know certain things about how to write formats and how to produce television. I was able to help him with that. He was able to help me with things like relating to the younger talent, like the Briscoes and Adam Cole. And and I don't want to leave anybody out, you know, but but uh, so many of the Ring of Honor stars that Kyle O'Reilly, you know, the, the younger generation. So we helped each other, and it was fun. Um, I definitely put a, put a word in for him to be the booker especially when Sinclair bought the company and they could make any change they want. I said, you don't need to change. This is the perfect guy to do this. Um, and, and, and I think he's done a tremendous job, especially under challenging circumstances, once again working with a, a, a corporate entity because you know the recipe for disaster in wrestling just adds suits. And that was the big problem with Ring of Honor in the first couple of years of the Sinclair era is that the fans just didn't understand how much time we were spending trying to tell these fucking people, you know, this is the wrestling business. You can't do certain things like this. And really I'd still be there today if it wasn't for the fact that I was, I wasn't making a lot of money doing that. I was doing it for the love of the game. I make twice as much money now doing my own thing and spending a quarter of the time on the road but I wanted to get that product on television and exposed to a bigger audience. But Greg, the office boy, it was, it came down to, I was either going to kill him. I was going to have a stroke or I was going to go home. I chose the latter because it was the, 
the lesser of three evils. And that story itself is awesome. We uh, we don't want to take up that much more time because obviously there's other things that we just we want to hit on before we let you go. But that story, if people don't know it, go out of your way to find it. I believe you detail it quite well in a uh, in a kayfabe commentaries release. And uh, wow, is all I'll say about that. But let's just talk about briefly, really quick. A very big success story of Jim Cornette, and it's somebody down from Smoky Mountain. We talked about the last time, and he's on the verge of making a really big announcement, and that's Glenn Jacobs about to uh, make a very historic run for, uh, for an office. And actually, by the time this airs, we'll have made that announcement for uh, the run for office. But kind of talk about his uh, acceleration through the business. And did you ever think that he'd be running for the mayor of uh, especially a place like Knox County, uh, Tennessee, a, a Smoky Mountain territory. Well, you know, I, actually, Glenn's from Missouri, and he was wrestling in Puerto Rico, and as most people who wrestle in Puerto Rico do, he was about to go out of his mind and wanted to come home, and Dutch Mantell called me, because Dutch had, had left doing my color for Smoky Mountain to take the, the job booking in Puerto Rico, and he said, I got this kid. He wants to come home, and God, he's, he's going to be great, and he'd be perfect for Smoky Mountain. He wants a job. <clears throat> and I said, well, that's all I need to hear, because Dutch is the one who found me, Mark Calloway, when we needed a skyscraper in WCW, and we had him for six months, and then Vince took him, and he became the undertaker. Anytime Dutch Mantell says, you got to use this guy, I did. So Glenn moved to Knoxville, and he never left. Uh, we we brought the Undertaker down and put him in the ring with Glenn as Unibomb, and Undertaker saw a great opponent for pay-per-view and a great talent, a great human being. Put the word in for him with Vince, a couple of bobbles with you know early gimmicks, and then we hit on the you know the Undertaker's brother thing, and Kane became a thing. And, but but Glenn has lived in Knoxville now since 1995, and. Uh, he's been one of the guys in the WWF. Once again, you talk about somebody who's never brought bad publicity on the company, always been reliable, no bad habits, produced in the ring, drawn huge money. He was, as JR referred to it, he was in the seven-figure club, making over a million dollars a year, a number of years in the WWF. And now he, that he's winding down his wrestling career, uh, he owns an insurance agency down there. He's involved with the community. And I don't know that we agree politically. He's a libertarian, and I'm a socialist Democrat or democratic socialist. <laughs> I'm about as close to Bernie Sanders as you can be in terms of my political beliefs, but Glenn Jacobs is a great human being, and old Mayor Burchett is term-limited uh, down there in Knoxville. He actually made, uh, made it Jim Cornette Day one day last year when I went back down there. Mayor Burchett did. I appreciate him for that, but he's out, and now the, the spot's open. And Glenn is running, and I I wouldn't put it past him to win it. And I don't care what his political beliefs. I know that that Glenn is a an honest and a well-meaning guy who would do the best that, that that he could at the job. And and I'm pulling for him. And like I said, by the time this airs, uh, there will be an announcement that would have been made uh, just for uh, speculative purposes for those listening. But, oh yeah, you know, he's running. He told me at WrestleMania he's running. So, <laughs> so well, we you don't have to worry very, about uh, what the announcement is. He's going to run, and 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 I hope he wins. Uh, he shared a very uh, very nice chat with us uh, that will be or will have aired uh, that will be detailing the entire uh, announcement. But 
you know, one thing we did talk about with him, and I'd love to get your take on this, because of uh, certain political views you do have, let's talk about him using celebrity for good, because he's somebody that definitely has uh, had to portray a very demonic character, a very scary character, but to the folks down in Knox County, Tennessee, uh, he's a very soft-spoken guy. He's always doing charitable work, and in this instance, we see somebody who's using their celebrity for a real uh, good thing, and that is to help uh, grow a community. Well, you know, exactly, and, and, and that's the thing is that uh, apart from political beliefs, and I mean, of course, Donald Trump is, a, is an egomaniacal megalomaniac. He's a fucking criminal. He's goddamn, he's unprepared and unqualified and incapable of the job that he's in. His entire cabinet and all the people he surrounds himself with are either his, his family or are all criminals. They're all wanting to benefit their billionaire buddies. They're demolishing the EPA. They're going to destroy the environment. They're going to give all the power back to the big banks and the big fucking corporations and the drug companies. They can't even get their shit together to give us health care. I'm sure the tax reform bill will go nowhere also. He doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. But a guy like Glenn Jacobs, uh, especially in the community that he lives in, cares about people, is, is, is at, at the bottom, regardless of his political affiliation, is, is a nice guy, is an in, intelligent guy, is a well-spoken guy, and wants to do good for himself and for the people that he would govern or the people that live in his community. That's the kind of politicians, regardless of their political affiliation, that we ought to support. Problem is, on a national basis, the Republicans are all about, you know, making sure everybody has all the guns they want so they can murder and slaughter all the school children and kill the environment the sake of corporate profits and, and you know, and, and basically benefit the top 2% instead of the bottom 98%. A guy like Glenn at a local level cares about the people he lives around and, and, and deals with and wants to do right. That's the difference between local politics and national politics. That's the difference between a libertarian on a local basis and a supposed Republican, which, I, you know, no Republican has any good ideas. But at least John McCain, you know, he was somewhat of an honorable human being. I might have been for him if he didn't have a goddamn complete whack job meth addict like Sarah Palin uh, running with him uh, just because the Republicans that year figured Hillary was going to run and thought anybody with a vagina, you know, we got to run a woman against Hillary because they'll vote for anybody with a pussy. It's fucking ridiculous. Uh, you know, the, the local politics, national politics are two different animals. Well, Not to be, to you know, opinionated or anything, but just telling the truth. <laughs> Well, as we start to wind it down here, we could probably, you know, talk to you all night, whether it be about politics or about wrestling. But, you know, a topic with you that, that's got to come up a lot, and I know we've asked you this uh, the last time you are on, but, you know, we always say, you know, the favorite midnight. And like you said, it was, like, impossible for you to say your favorite midnight was, was it, you know, Bobby and Dennis or Bobby and Stan. But what about a favorite midnight match against the Rock and Roll Express? Do you have maybe one or two or maybe more uh, – Favorite midnight matches against the uh, the R and R's? Oh God, some of them weren't on video, but I'll tell you this: the the I mentioned in the Hall of Fame speech that we sold out the Charlotte Coliseum four times in an eight week period with the Rock and Roll, and the final match, which was me hung in a cage, 
Uh, it was shot and aired on Japanese television. That actually does exist on video at jimcornette.com on the Midnight Express DVD, The Lost Matches, Wrestling Rarities. You can go to jimcornette.com and find that. And that probably was one of the best matches of the 86 run that we ever had put on tape. Another one is Wrestle War 1990 when it was Bobby and Stan against the Rock and Roll. Um, there, there was a few, but... So many in those days, so many of the, the house show matches that where we really had time uh, were, were, were never taped and were lost to, it was before the pay-per-view era, and they're, they're lost to time now. But, uh, but those are two of them. Such a great feud and unbelievable. Probably two of the greatest tag teams of all time. I mean, arguably you can throw a couple in there, but they're definitely in the top five, at least. Any, any incarnation of the Midnight Express in the top five. Do you think with, you know, the, the Midnight and the Rock and Roll Express, do you think tag team wrestling will ever get back to that point? Is the Revival the closest thing we're going to see to kind of getting back to that old school, awesome tag team wrestling? Well, you know, it, it, for a while I thought that, but now that I, I see the Revival and their matches with DIY and, and American Alpha, I think there's kids that are, are aspiring to be wrestlers, haven't even gone to their first day of training, but they're watching those matches, and they're saying, we want to be like those guys. Just like the Revival watched the Midnight in the Rock and Roll and said, we want to be like those guys. So it can be done. I thought for, I was pessimistic for a while, but I think it, it, it may can happen. You know what I, I mean? I love the Revival. They're my favorite tag team probably in many, many years. The thing I liked about them was I heard that they basically, you know, if you're down in NXT – in WWE in general, you pretty much have all this footage that you can possibly imagine, and that they were basically saying, oh, we want to watch Andy Anderson's, we want to watch the Midnight Express, so they, all they do is basically, not all they do, but they do watch a lot of footage. Do guys like that impress you, like guys that really care about the business? Well, yes, and besides that, they're from North Carolina, so they they grew up with seeing you know it it wasn't like they were stuck in Rhode Island all they saw was the old WWWF you know which eh, eh. <laughs> they they saw it, it, guys who grew up in North Carolina saw the best in ring talent in the business the Horsemen and Flair and et cetera et cetera so they they already saw it and then they went out of their way as they got older and got in the business to go back and look at the finer points and study it. And I did the same thing. When, when I was managing the Midnight Express, I'm not going to say that I trained Bobby Eaton and Dennis Condry and Stan Lane. That would be ludicrous. But I watched all the wrestling that I could find on videotape, and then I said, okay, Bobby Eaton does this, Dennis Condry does this, or Stan Lane does this, and they do it well. How can we put those things together where they can do double-team moves or they can complement each other and 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 that was how we kind of put all that stuff together. And that's the same thing the guys are doing now with that incredible library of footage. They're the ones who get it. The ones who don't get it are going, well, I could do a triple flip into some thumbtacks, you know, and that would get a pop from all 300 people in the fucking barn that I'm wrestling in. But the the guys who really get it, they go back and they study the guys who drew money and who were tremendous in-ring performers, and who had the psychology and took the fans on the roller coaster ride and, and got their points across, whether they were heels or baby faces. 
that footage is out there for them now, and, and for them, they go back and look, and they, they take that, and they don't just steal it outright. Because when you steal from one person, it's plagiarism. When you steal from many, it's research. They research, and they figure out a way to make it their own, and, 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 and they, they use that to, to get themselves over by saying, okay, I'm going to take this from Tully Blanchard, and I'm going to take this from Aaron Anderson, I'm going to take this from the Midnight Express, I'm going to take this from Ric Flair, I'm going to take this from Terry Funk, but I'm going to put my own spin on it. And, but I'm, I'm going to learn basically how to work, not just how to be a video game, you know, wrestler, which is unfortunately what the majority of folks in our business these days want to do. They want to imitate the video games that they play. That's another reason why the promos suck for the most part, because you went to locker room 30 years ago and you had guys like Wahoo McDaniel and Terry Funk and Dick Murdoch and Ric Flair and those guys telling stories because you didn't have cell phones and video games and smart tablets and Twitter and bullshit, so you had to tell stories to entertain each other. It was like the old days when on the Dick Van Dyke show when they would all get together in Dick Van Dyke's living room and put on a show. You had to get over with the toughest audience in the fucking world, which was wrestlers that had heard and seen every story and been involved in everything. And if you could tell a story and keep their attention, you could cut a promo. Now I walk in the locker room, there's 15 guys there, and nobody's saying a word. They're all sitting there playing with something on their fucking phone. No wonder they can't do promos. They can't tell a fucking story. Hmm. <laughs> Very true. I mean, obviously, uh, the days of the... Um, I walked into a Global Force Wrestling show uh, last summer, one of the first house shows they did. Jeff asked me to come down. And I walked in, and there was 12 guys there, and it was the quiet. It was like a library. It was the quietest locker room I'd ever been in. Everybody was sitting there looking at their phone. Nobody was talking about who they fucked the night before or who they ribbed the night before or what the fuck was going on or any funny story from what they did last week or a show they were on or whatever. They were all sitting there texting other people that weren't even in the – sometimes they text people that are in the room. They can see them, and they're texting them. Goddamn most ridiculous thing I've ever seen in my life. No wonder they can't cut promos. They can't tell a story because they don't talk to anybody. Definitely the day of the uh, you know the spontaneous promo or the shoot from the hip uh, promo or you know something off the top of your head. I guess those days are gone. It's all scripted now. Well, I'm glad that I got out before it was because I told the writers. When they asked me about the the Hall of Fame speech, they said, well, do you have your speech? And I said, well, yeah, I got it in my head. I said, but I can't really tell it to you because if I say it once, the next time I do it, it won't be any good because it'll be the second time, and the second time is never as good as the first. They said, just do what you're going to do. I said, thank you. If I'd ever had somebody write something down for me and say, say this, we wouldn't be talking now because I wouldn't have been able to do it. And the second time here was just as good as the first because any time that Jim Cornette can team up with one of his uh, co-members of the Rolling Stone uh, 18 Top Podcast to follow, and yes, we will shamelessly bring that up at uh, any turn (laughs) of the the coin, but, you know, the wrestling podcast wars are, uh, are getting crazy, and as we wrap it up here, you know, we usually end it with asking you what your legacy is in the business, but we did that the last time, so I just kind of want to ask you, you got a lot of successful content out there. People run to your show 
Now, two times a week, one to hear you answer questions, the other to hear you shoot the breeze. But what do you kind of feel like the podcast has done to the wrestling business? Because a lot of top guys, including yourself, got them. I mean, Eric Bischoff, Steve Austin, Jim Ross. Now, Edge and Christian have one. Jerry Lawler has one. You know, who knows who's going to be the next guy to do it. It makes uh, two schmoes. They got a two-man show. Look kind of dumb when all these big names are doing it. But where do you see the wrestling podcast going in the next couple of years here? Oh, God, I don't know. I think, it, you know, everybody, uh, 40 years ago, Andy Warhol said everybody's going to have 15 minutes of fame. You know, now everybody has a podcast. But I just try to, to you know, make mine a conversation with people that like me and want to know what's going on for an hour, an hour and a half in my life. Uh, we talk about wrestling. We talk about politics. I talk about chasing a mouse out of my fucking kitchen into my garage. Or, you know, somebody that pissed me off in traffic or whatever the case. And it's just like me and, and Brian Last, you know, not only answering the fans' questions, but talking to them, talking to my friends about shit that goes on in my life. That's what I try to do. And and I'll let everybody else do what they want to do. But uh, for the people who like that kind of thing, as I always say, that's the kind of thing those people like. So many of them, but yeah, there's so many that, uh, I guess now there are so many that they're reaching different tastes in whatever your uh, creative juices are. Tony Schiavone, Bruce Prichard, I mean, there's just, there's anybody now you can start to think of has one, but the Jim Cornette experience, definitely the only one that I do listen to, and that's not just blowing smoke up your rear end, that is the truth. So, Well, hey, I always say, according, according to some German videos I've seen, people, some people like to have their balls nailed to a step stool, so you never, there's something for everybody, but... For the people that like to hear me talk about shit that either I like or that pisses me off, I invite them to uh, join me every week to do same and, and go to jimcornette.com for all the information on what I'm doing, where I'm going, and where I've been. Absolutely. And is there any place else you would like to send them besides uh, Cornette Collectibles, Jim Cornette Twitter? Please share with the listeners of the two-man power trip. Oh, Jesus Christ, if you go to jimcornette.com and you need more of me, I guess you just need to come to Louisville and knock on my door because it tells you pretty much everything. <laughs> All right, well, Mr. Cornette, Mr. Jim Cornette, this has been a ton of fun. We thank you so much, and we look forward to seeing you down at the Mid-Atlantic Wrestling Expo in Richmond in May, and we've been pumping that up like crazy, and it's going to be a ton of fun. And uh, absolutely, thank you so much for coming back with us tonight. And uh, That's right. We were supposed to plug that. Let me do that so they don't get mad at me. I will be May 20th at the Wrestle Expo in Richmond, Virginia, the first time I've been back to Richmond in years. I'm looking forward to seeing all the Mid-Atlantic fans, the old fans and the new fans there, and, and uh, we're going to have some fun. I've had a lot of people uh, say that they're looking forward to, to coming and seeing not only me but some of their old favorites. A lot of guys are going to be there, and... and like I said, well, you know, we're going to have some fun, and we're going to commiserate about the days when Mid-Atlantic Wrestling was the greatest thing in the world, and we all loved it. Thank you, guys, and I'll talk to you off the air before then, and we'll do something there that night that, uh, that I'm sure all the fans will remember and, and appreciate. Absolutely. All right. I will be in touch for sure. All righty. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.